We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we're actually going to, I think we went through verse 17 last week. We're going to pick up right there in verse 17. And we're actually going to go through chapter 2, verse 5. Um, the, if I gave a title this morning, the title would be The Foolishness of the Message Preached. The Foolishness of the Message Preached. And So have you ever been so passionate about something, so fired up about something, so desiring to make something very clear that you just feel like you can't stop talking? You ever been there? You get, you just, you know, you want them to make sure they understand. So you, you, you just again and again and again, you go over that. You know, when I read this passage of scripture and I've always kind of thought this, I feel like that's what Paul is experiencing here. He's fired up and he's so desiring to make his point and to be certain that he has covered it thoroughly and clearly that he just can't stop. And, and so really, so to speak, he's on a roll. He's it's Raymond in class. He's on a roll, and man, it's just coming. And this illustration, that illustration, that illustration to make the point and to drive home what he's trying to communicate. And that's what's happened here with Paul. We're going to see a lot of passages here that he's saying the same thing a lot of different ways. He's dealing with foolishness of the world's wisdom, and he's dealing with wisdom, godly wisdom and godly power when he's dealing with salvation. And it all results from what we talked about last week with the divisions and the schisms that were in the church. There was divide in there. there was, they had little cliques going on. They had little groups going on. There was, it, was, it was really denominationalism at the very beginning. Because it was, you know, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm following Paul. I'm following Apollos. I'm following Cephas. Well, I just follow Jesus because I'm more righteous than all of you. And so there were, there were these divisions going on, and it really looked like what we see today in denominationalism. And it, and it was because of differences that happened with a man's opinion of something, a man's interpretation of something. And it all goes back to what Paul's dealing with. He's bringing us back to the Scriptures. He's bringing us back to the truth of the Gospel. And so that's what he's passionate about. And so he's dealing with the problem of divisions in the church. And now he wants to make it perfectly clear why any divisions, why do these divisions, these schisms, these breaks, these conflicts, these cliques in the church, why do they happen? And he's making the point that they're not acceptable in the church. They're not acceptable among God's people. And so to do this, he explains where these problems come from. And so from verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5, what we're going to look at today, Paul uses some form of the word foolish or foolishness six times. And then he uses the word wise or wisdom 13 times. And so he's going to contrast worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. He's contrasting the foolishness of the world with the foolishness of the gospel that's being preached. And so that's what he's doing here. And the Corinthian believers were divided and not living up to their standard in Christ because, number one, they were mixing the gospel with the wisdom of the world. That's the biggest problem. They, they had the gospel. They had the pure gospel. They had the true gospel. And yet they were mixing it with worldly wisdom. That's the worst thing we can do. If you're going to say worldly wisdom, that's really, what would you call that? Call that? That's, um, it's like military intelligence, What's the, whatever that is. Oxymoron. Oxymoron. I, I, absolutely. Worldly wisdom. We don't have world. There is no worldly wisdom. The world thinks it's wise. But that was the problem. They were mixing worldly wisdom with the gospel. And the other thing was they were glorying in men. And, the, and the, the different styles. This guy's more this, and I like that. And this guy's more of that way, and I like that. And so they were divided on that, and they were excluding each other. They were creating these little groups within the church of the men who were preaching the same message. Those men weren't divided. Paul and Apollos and Cephas and the Lord were preaching the same thing. 
There was no division among them, but it was people creating the divisions because they want to latch on to their preference. And Paul is dealing with that. So in our passages today, Paul's, Paul deals with the division, uh, uh, with the wisdom of the world in contrast with the wisdom of God. Uh, and so he's going to take, and we're going to look at seven Seven points or seven proofs that he gives to show that the gospel is sufficient for all people. And that's where we're going this morning. So you ready? ready. You ready? So, so get your seatbelt on. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in fast mode. I may need to slow down. I'm, I'm telling you, I get conscious of the time. And I go, I don't want y'all here all day. I don't want to preach too long. I'm really going to calm down a little bit because I'm fired up this morning. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And I pray right now, Lord, as we come to this part of the service, we are... So excited, Lord, already for what we've experienced. We have had the opportunity to worship you through song, through offering back our praises to you, Lord, in in thankfulness and gratitude and adoration of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we've we've seen the gospel this morning in in taking part in observing this this, uh, baptism. As we look at the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. It's that simple. Paul gave us that. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us as we, as we go through your word this morning. Teach us. Lord, I, I, I just pray, God, that the Holy Spirit of God will move on every heart. Lord, there are issues that I could never see in these pews that you know everything about. Lord, I pray for every need that's represented in this room this morning that you, Holy Spirit of God, will touch and will minister, will bring healing, will bring comfort, will bring uh, conviction, whatever the need is in our life, Lord, even through this message, though it may not even touch the issue or the problem this morning, I pray, God, you'll use this, the word of God that never returns void. You'll use it in our lives this morning to draw us closer to you. So help us, Lord, for just a few moments to turn our hearts totally on to you, totally to you, Lord, and to turn off everything else around us just for a few moments, Lord. So bless now in this time, and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Number one of these, of these seven proofs. Number one, we're going to look at Paul's commission. What was the commission Paul was given? Look again at verse 17. We finished up with this verse last week, but Paul says this. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words... It wasn't in the wisdom of his words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He was sent to preach the gospel. He was sent to preach the gospel alone. Not the gospel plus man's philosophies. Not the gospel plus man's worldly wisdom. He was sent to preach the gospel. And that's what Paul wanted to do. I've come not with words of wisdom, not with all of this worldly wisdom. I came to preach the gospel. You know, part of the fallacy and part of the, 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 the problem with the, 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 the divisions in the church where some would have said, well, I was baptized by this one. I was baptized with that, by that one. Paul's job, he wasn't called to come and baptize. There were other people that could baptize. He was called to preach the gospel. And so if he had baptized somebody, they might have gloried that. Well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Paul. Paul says, look, that's not what I was called to do. I was called to preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to call people to repentance. Folks, we must guard against mixing anything with the gospel. 
I always meet with folks before they want to join the church. We do our, you know, we do our Discovery First Baptist Geneva class, and we do that periodically. And if you're ever interested in joining the church, we want you to go through that class. We've we got several reasons we want you to go through it. We want to get to know you better, but we want you to know who we are, our history, what we believe, what we stand on, what we don't do. We want you to know how we're structured, all that stuff. So we would ask you to, to do that and go through that class. And we talk about in there, we talk about the gospel. And we talk about the gospel is not... It's not Jesus plus anything. And so as I talk with folks before they join, I ask the question, you know, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And I want to hear their response. And, and you know, I've had many, many times, not so much here, but I've had many, many times where someone's response is, it'll be a good faith response. Well, you have to understand your sin and you have to confess your sin and you have to repent of your sin and turn from it. And, and you have to believe on the Lord Jesus. You have to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. Put your faith and your trust in Him. And you have to do that. that and they start listing other things. There is no and in there. We are saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen? God's grace saves us. It is through the vehicle of faith. When we place our faith in Christ, and He has done the work. He has, he has used the Word of God, and we'll talk about it in a moment. But He does that work. He saves us through faith. Then it doesn't come into, well, then you got to keep the Ten Commandments and you you got you know, you to you attend church faithfully. There ain't many Baptists that believe that, are there? Um, you know, you got to give, you got to, you know, it's none of that, all right? It is, we are saved by grace through faith, and it is, it is in that. And so we have to be careful, and we guard that truth. We're not going to add to it. That baptism, beautiful thing, wonderful thing. Brent, that, God's going to bless you for that, because that is following him in, in obedience. It's, it's what he's told us to do, and he's going to bless you for that. Though it was delayed, he didn't even realize it was delayed for a long time. He didn't realize that. When we realized and we talked about it, he said, man, I didn't say, well, Brent, when are we going to baptize you? He said, preacher, I need to get baptized. We're going to take care of, can we take care of that? I said, absolutely. So that didn't save him. We did that as a pre-picture of his salvation. We don't add to the gospel. We got to guard against that. And that's what Paul's saying there in verse 17. The, the gospel is not Jesus plus anything or minus anything. He came to preach the cross of Christ, not with wisdom of this world. Number two, he talks about here, he looks at their personal experience, the, the Corinthians' personal experience. Verse 18, for the message of the cross, listen, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is. You talk to anybody that's lost, anyone who doesn't have a regenerate mind, they, they've been born again and changed and transformed, they will say, um, Michael, I don't see Michael this morning, Michael uh, Umensetter, he told me a long time ago when we first came here, we were talking about the gospel, and I, I walked him through the gospel and said, Michael, can you believe that? And Michael said, I don't know how you could believe the man rose from the dead. That's what he said. That's an unregenerate mind. He did not, he had not to that point had the word of God convict him of his sin and his need for a savior. And that's a work that God does in our hearts. So the message of the cross, listen, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? So the message of the cross, man, that is for us that have been saved, those that, that God is working in our life, that message is beautiful and we understand it. Um, the lost can not, not, no more, listen, they can no more understand the wisdom of the gospel than a man who is born blind can perceive colors. 
Now, if someone's lost their vision, that's one thing. You could describe a rainbow to them. Oh, this rainbow's out there. It's the prettiest I've ever seen. And you could describe all the colors, and they can picture that in their mind because they've seen that. But you take a man who's born blind, and you explain to him a rainbow. He can't, he can't grasp it. He can't grasp colors because his eyes never saw color. His brain never processed colors. He cannot in any way comprehend that. It's the same way for a lost person to comprehend the gospel. It's foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's what he's telling them. Those Corinthians had been changed by the power of God. And he's telling them, your experience, you've experienced this, you understand this. Now hold to the gospel. Now look at number three. Number three is scripture. I love as you read the Bible and those who wrote the scriptures, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul here to reference scripture. He's writing scripture that we read today and Paul's referencing scripture. Look at what Paul says in verse 19 and 20. Paul says, for it is written. He's saying, thus saith the Lord. Now listen, he says, I will destroy, thus saith the Lord, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. That's what God said. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Who is, I'm sorry, where is the wise? Paul's going, where, where is this wise one? Where are the wise of this world? Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is this disputer of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? He says, God doesn't need the foolishness of the world. God doesn't need the wisdom of the world. God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. Paul quotes here from Isaiah chapter 19 and chapter 29 and chapter 33 to prove that God doesn't need the world's wisdom. And in fact, he will destroy the wisdom of the world. He could have also quoted Isaiah 55, 8, a verse 8, 9 that many of you will recognize. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Your wisdom is no good with God. Our wisdom is no good with God. The world's wisdom is no good with God. We, it is foolishness. And God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. So he references scripture. But then number four is human history. We're going to look at human history. Verses 20 and 21. Where is the wise? Again, picking up on verse 20 that we just read. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message. Right there we get our title of the message today. For it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Who does God save? Those who believe. What do they believe? The message that was preached. The simple, foolish message that the world says, boy, what a foolish message that is. You think about the cross. We wear crosses around our neck. We have a cross here. We, we, we look at the cross and we see it. Man, I see the cross with affection. 
I see it with affinity. I'm, I, I, I love the cross, not because of what they did to Jesus on it, but because of what Jesus did for us on it. Amen? So I love the cross. But when you think about the world looking at it, well, that was a, a thing of execution. It would be us taking the electric chair today or hanging a noose around your neck in the Old West, maybe. That kind of thing. You look at that and go, man, that was a thing of death. And in their day, that was, man, that was... It was not something they would have, the world would have seen that as, man, that is gross. That is disgusting. I can't believe that you would embrace that. Well, it was because of that that we have what we have in Christ, salvation in Him. The foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. With all its wisdom, the world was not able to find God or salvation. And if you trace human history, if you go back and you trace all through human history, what we find is that man is constantly gaining knowledge. Amen? We've probably never, we, you know, probably. We've never had more knowledge than we have right now. You take all the libraries of all of history, and it does not add up to what we have right now. And you know what? Tomorrow we'll have more knowledge than we've ever had Ever. And then the next day, it'll be more. And the rate at which knowledge is growing is unbelievable. So you look through history, we're, we're constantly gaining knowledge, but we're constantly losing wisdom. Man, look around today. And you go, where, where have people's minds gone? What is going on in this world? There is no wisdom. Common sense we got to change the name. It ain't very common. It ain't very common. That's some exceptional sense you have there, young man. It's sure not common sense anymore because there is no common sense, it seems. But when we talk about the losing wisdom, they've especially this world has lost, especially in the area of spiritual matters. Go back and review Romans chapter 1. You can see how the world turned from God. And then, you know, God's plan was so simple and unique that it seemed to be foolishness to the world. His plan for salvation. You know, what does man want to do? We want to make it hard. We want to make it complicated. We want to make it all difficult. And we want to make it something that we can control. We want it to be about us and what we can do. That's what man does. That's what wisdom does. And the foolishness of man and the foolishness of the world could not do it. See, the gospel is just simply, simply put, God saves those who believe what he says about his son. That's the gospel. And Paul asked this question. He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. Human reasoning is exposed as foolishness when set beside divine revelation. When you take the the, the wisdom of the world and, and you put that beside divine revelation, it is nothing but foolishness what man comes up with. And if we look at man's religious philosophy, see the wisdom of the world says that salvation has to be earned. That's the wisdom of our world. And it's the basic unifying concept of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christian cults, and all false religions is that man has to earn salvation. Religion calls for feast and fast, pilgrimages. It's easy for y'all to say. Pilgrimages, penances, sacrifices, suffering, rules and rituals. That's what religion calls for. And the emphasis is entirely on the works of man to get to God. That's what religion is. God destroys man's wisdom by making his salvation available as a free gift 
to be received by faith. Man's wisdom says do when God's word says done. Man says toil, God says trust. Man says behave, God says believe. Man says achieve, God says accept. Cain, who founded the first false religion, said, I'll bring the fruits of my own good works. His brother Abel said, I'll sacrifice a lamb without blemish. Cain's religion emphasized beauty. Abel's faith emphasized blood. Cain's religion produced a murderer. Abel's faith produced a martyr. Cain's religion looks fine to man. Abel's faith seems foolish to man. Cain's religion illustrates man's thoughts and, way, and, and man's ways, where Abel's offering illustrates God's thoughts and God's ways. God is neither foolish nor weak. He only seems so to the self-inflated, ego-centered, Christ-rejecting man. God is not weak. And He is not weak in wisdom. He is not weak in power. So why is the preaching of the gospel important? Because the Holy Spirit, through the foolishness of the message preached, saves those who believe. That's the reason we preach the gospel. See, the Holy Spirit works the Word of God upon the mind of God, revealing truth He can come to no other way. It is through the preaching of the Word of God. It is through the Word of God that He can come to an understanding of who He is, of who God is, of His need for salvation. There is no other way than through the Word of God and the truth of the gospel. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God stirs man's emotions, quickens his conscience, and imparts conviction of sin. And when man is convicted, the last thing to fall is the human will. He's under conviction. Folks, then what do we do? Do I respond? Do I repent? And when I'm understanding now my need for a Savior, or do I reject the Savior? It's the will. And when the will falls, when the will is conquered, the awakened soul turns to Christ, accepts Him by faith, is cleansed by the blood of Christ, and His human spirit is again indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And He has been born again. The unregenerate mind is so wholly alienated from God that the unsaved man considers all such preaching as foolishness. To say... You just have to believe. That's foolishness. To believe in a crucified God. That's foolishness. To say that a man rose from the dead. That's foolishness. Now if you tell me i got to give a million dollars and run 20 laps around the church, I might buy that. Or you know what? I can go knock on enough doors that I'll earn my way. Or I can give enough money. Or I can, you know what? I, I can help enough, enough older people. I, I can go visit their homes. I can do all these good things. That's what the world says. The gospel is simple. And to the world, it's foolish. Number five, we look at Paul's ministry. Verse 22 and 23. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. For Jews request a sign. This is to say they wanted to be convinced miraculously. That's what they said. They wanted signs. They wanted signs. Really? They, they request signs? For three and a half years the Son of God walked their land. 
He healed their sick and raised their dead. He cleansed their lepers and liberated the demon-possessed. He walked upon the waves and calmed the storms. He fed their hungry multitudes and, and, and he transformed ruined lives. Yet they demanded a sign. Give us a sign from heaven. When he was born, he put a new star in the sky. And when he died, he put out the sun. Still, they insisted they wanted a sign. He took them back to Jonah and then to his own resurrection. And still, they wanted a sign. At Pentecost, the church was birthed doing signs and wonders, and the Jews ignored them and persecuted the church as passionately as they had persecuted the Christ. Signs. Yet with all these signs, they refused to believe. And Greeks seek after wisdom. The Greeks wanted to be convinced mentally. It, it was an endless search for them. And in Athens, Paul was surrounded by Stoics and Epicureans. And he soon discovered that they didn't really want the truth. They just really wanted to hear some new thing. It was always about learning and never gaining the truth. What new thing do you have? And they listened with some patience as Paul preached the gospel. And he told the greatest truth ever preached on this earth that the, the, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they mocked him openly. And they called him a babbler. And the idea of that was you're, you're a seed picker. Hey, they called him, you're, you're like a bird that goes and you grab a seed over here and you bring it over here. You picked up an idea over there and you brought it to us over here. They were mocking him. They were saying what he was preaching. That was not true. It was, it was, it was, it was foolishness. And they rejected true wisdom. They seek after wisdom and yet they rejected the truth. They rejected true wisdom, the truth of Christ and the way of salvation. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, for those who are called, those who have been born again, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now understand, Paul wasn't saying that God has weakness. He doesn't say that that uh, he doesn't have strength, that he has weakness or anything like that, or he doesn't, he, he was, it was a sarcastic statement. And what he was saying is, look, if God had weakness, his weakness is stronger than, your, your, than, than, than you in any way, shape, or form. His weakness is stronger than your strength. His, his foolishness would be, would be greater than any of your wisdom. So it was a sarcastic statement. So when the gospel call is both he, uh, heard and heeded, Evidence of the transforming power is seen at once. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is seen to be the power of God. And the word there for power is dunamis. And that word is what we get the word dynamite from. And it suggests unhindered and unequaled power. And, and it's significant as you, as you read in Matthew. And, and there in Matthew, Matthew's listing the mighty miracles that happened that accompanied the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was the darkening of the sun. There was the tearing of the temple veil. There was the earthquakes. There were broken rocks. There were graves that were opened up, countless graves that were opened up. But he also records in there the conversion of the Roman centurion. Now, folks, it, it took the same power of God to change that man's heart as it did to accomplish those other works. The power of God. And then when the gospel call is heeded, 
heard and when it is heeded, evidence is also seen of its transcending wisdom. And here's what's amazing. Things that we, we, we would have thought were foolish when we come to faith in Christ soon, soon, we, we, we see right through the world's philosophies. We see right through the world's wisdom. There is, there is a transcending wisdom that God brings into our life and the Holy Spirit teaches us and shows us these things. And, it, and, it, and, and so it's amazing the transcending wisdom and the transcending power that comes from God. Number six, we see their own calling. Their own calling. He's talking again to the Corinthians here. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble... Are called. Let me say it again. He says, brethren, brethren. He's talking to believers, right? He says that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, in 1700s England, uh, there was a woman named Selina Hastings who was the Countess of Huntingdon. And, and, and it was an often told story, apparently, but she said that she thanked God for the letter M in the word many. And it was said that if God had said not any instead of not many, it would have excluded her. So there are not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble. She was a noble woman. She was in a position of power and she thanked God that it didn't say not any. Amen? But God, God has chosen, verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And Paul is saying, if God needs man's wisdom and glory, then why did he ever call you? Amen? I mean, if he, if, if he needs wisdom, he would not have called me. If he needed glory from a man, he would not have called me, folks. There were not many mighty people in the church at Corinth. Not many nobles or worldly wise people, but God still saved them. Search the scriptures and consider how God calls nobodies and uses them greatly. I mean, you just search through all there. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, Paul, Peter, all the disciples, many and many, 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 many men and women that were not mighty. God saved them and did great things in their life. Folks, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody, and I thank God that he calls nobodies. I heard a, I heard a quote years ago uh, Somebody came to, to the church. It was early in my ministry, and um, the guy said this. He said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about this somebody who will save anybody. That's who we are, folks. We, we're, 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 we're a blind man who's been healed, who's trying to get all the other blind men to Jesus. Amen? That's what we ought to be. I'm just a nobody. And I want to tell everybody about this somebody, Jesus, who will save anybody. Number seven, and we see here Christ's sufficiency. Verse 30 through, really we look at verse 30 through uh, chapter 2, verse 5 here. But verse 30 and 31 says, But to, to him you are in Christ, but of him 
you are in Christ Jesus. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And he's talking to these believers and he's telling them, you, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, again, Paul referencing scripture, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's not about our wisdom, folks. It's not about our glory. It's not about our power. It's not about anything to do with us. It's all about him. And he's really, if you go back to now, you go back and you think about what are the divisions in the church? What are they glorying in? They're glorying in, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of the Lord. Only the Lord. I righteously follow the Lord. It's arrogance. And he says, if you're going to glory, don't glory in man. Don't glory in yourself. If you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. That's what he's saying. Every true believer, if you're a true believer, if you've been born again, you are in Christ Jesus. I, I, I use, a, I use a, a lot of times an illustration to explain the picture of salvation. And, and if you don't understand, Noah's Ark is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of salvation. Noah spent all those years, those hundred years, building the ark. God gave the instruction. I don't know if he hired local workers and, 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 and he subcontracted the whole thing or if he drove every... I don't know how it happened. But I know over a hundred years, he built a huge, this, this ark that God told him how to build it. But Noah stood at the ark and God said, get in. The animals are in. Get in, you and your family. And Noah still had to believe... He had to have faith that that boat would take him through the storm safely. He had to have faith to get in it. But he had to get in it. It didn't matter that he built it. It didn't matter that he promoted it. He had to himself believe and get in the boat. And if Noah says, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I built the thing. I don't know. You're talking flood. I don't know if that thing's seaworthy. I, I don't know if I'm getting in that thing. No, he didn't do that. God said get in it, and he, be listen, he believed God to use the vehicle that God provided in the way that God provided to take him safely through the storm. It was faith. It took faith for him to get in that ark. Folks, it's the same thing when we get into Christ Jesus. When, when, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, whoever believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. That in him, whoever believeth in him, if you look up that word in, it's the word E-I-S, the, the Greek word E-I-S. And it can be in or into. And it's the same idea. If you believe in Christ, you believe into Christ because you, you are now in Christ Jesus. And you are, as a born-again believer, you are encapsulated in Him. You are protected in Him. He, he, the blood is covering you. The, 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 the pitch that was put on the ark is a picture of, of the blood of Christ. It's atonement. It was applied to the ark to seal out everything from the world. Keep that storm from getting through and the boat to, to leak. The blood of Christ covers us. Is that atonement? Folks, it's the same believing into Christ. Every true believer is in Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus is all every true believer will ever need. When it comes to spiritual things, we don't need man's wisdom or power, 
because we have Christ. He is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. To add anything to Christ or his cross is to diminish him and his work and to rob them of their power. Folks, I tell people this. If you believe in, salva- in baptism for salvation, let me explain this. Because people go, well, they just believe a little different. They do believe a little different. And if your belief is the baptism is what's saving you, your faith is now in baptism. It's not in Christ and you are not saved. If you believe that you have to be baptized and then you have to speak in tongues as evidence of your salvation, then you've now put that belief, that faith is in, in the act The work of speaking in tongues. It is no longer in Christ Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where faith is applied is all important. And our faith has to be applied to Christ Jesus and Him alone. We can't add anything to that. It changes the gospel. And you go, well, why is it so? Why do these things divide? They divide because they are essentials in our fundamental beliefs. You have changed the gospel when you start adding to or taking from the the gospel that God has given us. Whenever Christians take their eyes off Christ and start depending on or trusting in or glorying in man, then they cause divisions. We have to keep our eyes on Christ. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Pastor Aaron, if you and the team want to make your way forward. I'm going to look real quick again as Paul kind of wraps it up. He really is really not wrapping up because this is a continuing thought that we'll even continue into next week. But 1 Corinthians 2, there in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. He didn't come with worldly wisdom. He didn't come with excellence of speech. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul had been to Athens. He had preached to those who wanted wisdom. They wanted to hear a new thing. And he gave them the greatest wisdom they would ever hear, and they rejected it. Paul could debate debate with anybody. Paul could stand toe-to-toe with any intellectual on this earth. And what Paul said from there was, I will, I am determined to know nothing. And I will only, I will know, know, uh, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul didn't stand up in pride. He didn't stand up in arrogance. He didn't stand up in confidence in himself or his words. He stood up trembling, fearful, in weakness to present the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where our faith is. That's why the gospel is important. And that is the foolishness of the message preached. The foolishness of the message preached. The simple gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for sinful man. And I pray this morning that you have trusted 
Christ as your Savior. But I won't make that assumption. And never in a group this size will I assume that. Folks, I've been, I've been in churches where key leaders in the church got saved. Been in the church for years and years and years. Have been deceived or were deceiving themselves. And one morning they heard the gospel again. And God convicted their heart and brought them to a place of true brokenness and understanding that they were a sinner, that they'd never truly been born again. So this morning, if you, I would just challenge you. We should always evaluate and be sure that we're in Christ. We should be sure of our salvation. We should be sure of that. This morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I would invite you. I, listen, I would plead with you to step out this morning and come down here and, and let myself or my wife or Raymond or someone just take the Scriptures and walk you simply through the Gospel and show you this morning how you can know. I, I, I can't save you. I'm not even going to tell you you're saved, but you can know that you're saved based on the truth of the Scriptures and the decision that you make. You and God will know. So this morning, if you've never done that, I invite you to come forward. Church, this morning, maybe there's somebody you want to pray for. Maybe there's a need you want to pray for. This altar is open, and, and, and we want God to have freedom to move in our hearts and do whatever it is that He wants to do this morning. Amen? Father, I pray that, Lord, as we go into this time of reflection, this, this invitation time, that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that we, we don't get caught up in the wisdom of man. Lord, that we don't start mixing wisdom of man with the, the simple gospel message. Lord, Lord, if we've done that, I pray you'd reveal that in our hearts. Reveal that to us and break us of that, Lord, that we, we could repent, turn from that, confess it, and get that right. Lord, I just pray this morning that whatever needs are on our heart, I know there are hearts that are heavy this morning. They're, they're, we, we couldn't even begin to, to know everything that's going on all around our church. But I know there's a lot of painful situations represented in here this morning. And there are a lot of others that are just at a wonderful spot in their faith and their walk with you right now. Lord, whatever the need is in each individual heart, I pray, God, the Holy Spirit of God will do the work that's needed today, right now, for this moment. Maybe there's someone here who's never been baptized that today's the day they need to step out and go, you know what, I need to do that. I need to do that. But Lord, if there's anyone that's sitting here that's never truly been born again, I pray you'd burden their hearts so strongly they would not be able to leave here. They would not be able to sit still in this invitation. God, they'd have to move forward, compel them to move forward and to come and receive the gift of salvation. Father, God, just move. Do what only you can do now. And we'll praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.